we're part of the way through um, a series in the letter of uh, well, the letter to the Philippians. Um, so a letter that was written to some people from a place called Philippi, which is in northeast Greece. And so far uh, in this series, just over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've met Paul. Now, Paul, uh, the great apostle, the great preacher, uh, the great missionary, had been arrested. And it looks like uh, persecution, opposition have won. It looks like it's game over for Paul because Paul is in chains. But he says, the gospel isn't. See, he's reassured us in chapter one that his darkest hour hasn't destroyed his faith. So even in his darkest hour, this, this time of well, jail, of being stuck and chained, uh, he says that he's looking to Jesus and he's finding real deep joy in Jesus and the gospel just keeps on spreading even though he has been kind of arrested and stuck. And that's great, but I guess we've been thinking over these weeks, how, how, do, we, how do we live that out? Kind of what Bronte was praying, how do, we, how do we even live that out at all? That deep joy is fine for Paul, but we're not Paul, right? Having a deep, solid joy in every situation would be great, wouldn't it? Like, isn't, isn't kind of get, like finding happiness and keeping happiness, it's just like nailing jelly to a wall. It never stays in the same place. You can never kind of hold on to it for long enough being happy. But joy, having deep joy, whatever the circumstances, wouldn't that be amazing? It'd, it'd be brilliant. But how do we get there? How do, we, how do we live that out? Well, if you've been asking that question over the couple of weeks that we've been here, or if that's just a question that you have in general, well, then this afternoon is, is for you, because the final paragraph in Philippians chapter 1 gives us Paul's big idea. So again, if you want to grab, if you have a church Bible, it's, it's on page uh, 980. That's where we're going to start. So 980 in a church Bible, or Philippians right at the end of chapter 1. And, and, and really, we're just going to spend a bit of time now um, seeing Paul's big idea, really the, the main point of this whole letter to the Christians in Philippi. Because the reason that Paul is writing the letter, the reason he's writing to Christians in Philippi and actually to Chippenham, the reason is he's telling people what life should be like, telling Christians what life should be like. So let me read chapter 1, verse 27. This is Paul's big idea for the whole letter. Verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Living a gospel life means that we will stand firm together for the gospel. That's what Paul's writing about. Living the gospel life means that we'll stand firm together for the gospel. That's how we live it out, standing firm together for the gospel. And then what we're going to find out in the rest of this letter over the next few weeks here in Trinity is that Paul's going to write about each of those elements in the rest of the letter. So in chapter 3, we'll see chapter 3, I guess, in a few weeks' time. Paul's going to write about standing firm in the gospel. He's going to write about the challenges to doing that. He's going to be writing about kind of the, the, the impact, what it means to be standing firm for the gospel. That's chapter 3. Chapter 2, he talks about standing together for the gospel. 
Uh, specifically, he, he's, he's going to give uh, four examples of, of selflessness and humility uh, for kind of what it means um, to stand together for the gospel because unity only comes through humility. Unity only comes through humility. And we know that's true, don't we? We know that's true. Um, unity or, or togetherness only comes where there's true humility. Now, there's an American uh, conductor, an American um, uh, composer called Leonard Bernstein. And he is probably most famous for writing the music to West Side Story. So anyone heard or seen or enjoy West Side Story, it's, it's pretty much like the best kind of musical around, isn't it? That's um, slightly controversial. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but he wrote that. He's a bit of a genius. Um, someone once asked him, I think it was a journalist, once asked uh, Leonard Bernstein, he said, okay, what is the hardest instrument to play? What's the most difficult instrument to play? Leonard Bernstein was, like I said, a famous composer. He, he'd know the answer to that. And, and I don't know what you're thinking. Maybe you're thinking, well, for me, like any instrument's hard to play. Um, just anything. Triangle, that's hard. Everything's hard. But for Leonard Bernstein, th- this was his answer. Really interesting. He said, the hardest instrument to play is the second violin. The hardest and most difficult thing to, to, to play or to get someone to play well in an orchestra is the second violin. But, he said, without it, there's no harmony. Without a second violin, the orchestra just doesn't work. And I think you can see how that makes sense. Everyone wants to be first, right? Everyone wants to be first violin or top of whatever it is. No one wants to be second, because if you're first, you have the respect, you have, you have the status of being the best violinist um, in, in the orchestra. Everyone wants to be the first violin. Like, who, who wants to be chosen to be second? It's just not sexy. It's not prominent, it, but it's absolutely essential. Absolutely essential, because there's no harmony without humility. You won't get the harmony in an orchestra if, unless someone is humble and plays second violin. Humility is so, so important. And Paul says, in, uh, in chapter 2, we'll come to it in a second, Paul says that true humility, it's important, but actually it's, it's godly. Humility is, like, is being like God, because living out the gospel means being humble. But it's so hard. Isn't it hard being humble? If you're humble, you're probably not going to answer that question, are you? But... It's hard being humble. It's, being humble is a risk because you know that if you're good at being humble, there's a very good chance no one's going to notice what you're doing. It's really hard being humble. But true humility, true godly humility actually does exist and is absolutely essential to living out the gospel. It's absolutely essential to us as a church. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, just the beginning. It's kind of Paul's first big example of what humility uh, is. And uh, Sarah's going to come and read uh, Philippians 2, 1 to 11. So if, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you. So I wonder just how, how you feel after hearing those verses, that couple of paragraphs being read. For some of you, um, probably very familiar. Um, this is a lot of people's favourite passage in Scripture, let alone favourite book of the Bible. Uh, maybe for some of you it's the first time you've heard it. Uh, maybe for some of you you've, you've heard it but not really kind of sure how, how it fits. What we're going to do um, for the rest of our time this afternoon is I'm just going to ask three questions. Um, and the passage is going to answer those questions, hopefully, uh, for us. And the three questions are these, and it's all about true godly humility um, that exists and, and that is found in this passage. So, so, so three questions. Uh, first question is, what does true godly humility look like? Second question is, what does humility mean, like for us? And the third question is, where does humility come from? So what does it look like? What does it mean? And where does it come from? And that's just so you can you kind of know where we're going and you can kind of hopefully focus in on those. So the three questions, and, and just kind of a bit of a warning, really. We're going to look at the passage backwards, which is a little bit weird. Um, uh, but the reason we're going to do that is because the answer to the last question is actually the key to the whole thing. And I want to kind of end on that, okay? So don't get too nervous that we're starting at the end and going backwards it's a bit weird, but it's okay, because I want us to, to really end on that last question, that last answer, because it is the absolute key. It's everything, okay? So, first question, what does humility look like? Paul's answer in verses 5 to 11 is that humility looks like Jesus. Humility looks like Jesus. Have a look at just those verses, that kind of last bit from verse 5 to 11. What is Jesus' relationship status? He is eternal, or he has eternal divine equality with God the Father. That's a pretty big sentence, isn't it? Eternal divine equality with, with God the Father. Is there anywhere higher on the pyramid of relationship status? I don't think there is. Completely equal with God the Father. Now, um, if you think of any sort of celebrity or, or, or famous person that is perhaps known occasionally for being humble, the chances are that they, they come across as humble because they've been photographed traveling on the underground. That's basically the definition of kind of a celebrity being humble, is you see them, you know, it's going to be like Keanu, or maybe Keanu Reeves sitting on a park bench eating a sandwich, or, you know, but you see like Helen Mirren or, or, or someone. Uh, just on the tube. And you think, wow, they're so humble. Because Why? Because in spite of their wealth, in spite of their, their fame and awesomeness, they travel on trains like everybody else. And, and they're humble because they're on the tube and, and you know, the reasons for that. But it seems obvious, but Jesus did more than just use public transport. His humility is much more than that. 
See, the one at the very top of the pyramid turns the pyramid upside down and goes to the very bottom. The very bottom. See, for Jesus, being equal with God meant giving up privilege. For Jesus, being equal with God meant emptying himself. It meant serving as a slave. It meant obeying God and dying a cursed slave's death. Someone was writing about this passage, and they said this, uh, that being equal to God meant giving rather than getting. And Jesus' giving of himself revealed the true nature and love of God. That's pretty good, isn't it? For Jesus, being equal to God meant, it meant giving rather than getting. There's no in spite of. It's giving rather than getting. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I doubt that many of us in this room have ever used the phrase seriously, don't you know who I am? Usually, um, if you kind of use that phrase to get something you want, you have to be pretty recognisable to get away with it. And I'm just scanning around to make sure that I don't think I recognise anybody from outside of kind of here. Um, If you're like a big TV celebrity, I do apologise. But I don't think any of us have generally used that phrase to get something we want. Um, Because you've got to be famous to use it. But um, it's it's quite a normal sentence. Even if we haven't used that phrase out loud, because it'd be a little bit embarrassing. Because the answer's going to be no, (laughs) um, which is awkward. Um, But that sentiment is pretty common, actually. I wonder if you've, maybe you've not verbalised that, but, but maybe you've felt that when you've been talking with someone well, yeah, but don't you realise who I am? It's a really common um, sentiment to have because, again, isn't it true that any authority or, or, or status that we have in a situation or, a, or in a relationship, we'll try to exploit it, won't we? Or we'll try to kind of leverage the status we have to, to, to get what we want or to get even more status, to get even more authority or kind of respect or whatever it is that, that we want. Well, Jesus did the exact opposite. The exact opposite. He was truly humble because he went low. He had how much status? He had all the status. He had all of the power, all of the glory, all of the privilege, if you want to use that word, of being God. But he, but he laid it aside, Paul tells us. He emptied himself, and that is what humility looks like. Because that's what God looks like. He, God loves to give, not to get. He's a giver, not a getter. Therefore, therefore, God the Father made him high. Verse 9, he, he, God super exalted Jesus. It gives him the name that is above all other names. You see, the dirt and the, the, the pain of the cross wasn't, wasn't a path to glory. It is the glory. See, Jesus' death, I know maybe you've had this thought before, but Jesus' death just looks rubbish. It looks poor. It looks catastrophic. It just is so low and base. But it was no failure. It was no failure because it shows us what God is like, because God is other-centered. Again, he, he, he gives, doesn't get. God is 
by nature, inherently other-centered. He loves to give. And one day, because Jesus has been given the name that is above every name, one day, every knee will bow to Jesus because he's the real king. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone will have salvation. That's not what Paul is saying here. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that everyone will acknowledge the truth about Jesus. Now, most don't want that to be true. But at some point, everyone will be in a position where they cannot deny that Jesus is Lord, so they will bow, but not really by choice. They will confess, but they won't really mean it, and they'll have eternal consequences for that. But the cool thing is, the cool thing for us here in Trinity is that we get to do those things today. We get to, 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 to willingly, joyfully bow to Jesus, the real King. We get to, to, to honestly, openly, freely uh, confess that it's Jesus that's Lord and not me. We can, we can go low for Jesus. We can go low with Jesus because humility looks like Jesus. Humility looks like Jesus. It looks like letting go of any status or any importance that we have. And I guess depending on the room that we walk into, we'll have varying different levels of status and importance. Most rooms that we walk into, I would guess none of us really have any status or importance in most rooms. But there's going to be some rooms, some groups of people, some situations um, that we're going to have some status, even just a little bit. And humility looks like Jesus. It looks like giving up that status, laying it aside. It looks like going down and going low. So what does humility mean for you? That's question two. What does humility mean? It means you first. Humility means you first. That's verses three and four. Humility means you first. We know that Humility, just in normal life, being humble is a good thing, right? It's, you know, we try to look for people you know, to be humble. We, we try to be humble ourselves because we know it's a good thing. We know it's a good aim to have, even if we keep missing it. Um, we know it's a good aim to have. And usually, being humble just kind of means being polite. Maybe that's like a British thing, I don't know. But like, usually, being humble or doing a humble thing means you hold the door open for someone when you don't have to. Or, classically, being humble means you don't eat the last piece of cake um, in case someone else wants it. And that's kind of you being humble. And um, actually, that's not really humility at all, is it? It's just kind of being a bit polite and not wanting to appear like you eat all the cake. Um, But we think, yeah, I'll be humble and I'll leave someone else. That's not really humility at all, is it? Um, That isn't true you-first humility. Uh, Paul says... In verses 3 and 4, again, have a little look. Paul says that humility means seeing others as more significant than you. That, that's kind of his working definition, I think, of what humility means. It means seeing others as more significant than you, even the ones that look different or, or act differently or, or smell differently to you. Seeing others as more significant than you. Paul says that humility means looking to the interests of others even when it means your interests or your comfort suffers. And that hurts, doesn't it? That just kind of stings. I think when you talk about it 
to be really you first, I, I, I think that kind of hurts a bit because to be truly you first, maybe it means you'll be uncomfortable. Maybe uh, you'll be ignored. Maybe it means that you'll be disrespected or despised or walked all over. Yeah, well, just like Jesus, isn't it? It's being truly you first. Is, is doing what Jesus did. See, true humility, this, this godly humility that we've been thinking about is proper risky. But there's not going to be any unity, there's not going to be any harmony in any group without it. Because the alternative to this kind of humility is what? I guess the alternative is just everyone for themselves. We see that every day on the TV. We see that every day in, in our offices or places of work or maybe in, in, in families. It's just everyone for themselves crashing against each other. And that's basically life, isn't it? Crashing against everybody. If, if Trinity Chippenham was, was truly you first, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that just be different to every other group that we're involved with in the rest of the week? Truly you first mean, would mean that I, I come in in the afternoon and I, I am looking out for you. That your interests are more important than my interests. Your comfort is more important than my comfort. And I would do that knowing that you've got my back as well. And we would just be this kind of amazing, um, just a team looking out for each other, you first. And it wouldn't be kind of the weird you first of, you know, you walk out the door first. No, no, you walk out the door first. No, no, okay, you have, no, you have the cake. No, 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 you have... Who cares? Just have the cake. I don't care. But that you first stuff is so much more than just having the cake or opening a door. It's, 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 it's looking, looking for, out for you. It's looking out for you because, because everybody here, everyone that you work with, everyone that you see at the school gates in the week, every neighbour you have, every shop assistant you talk to, everyone is significant because God has made them and loves them. And nothing changes that. Nothing can change that. Gender doesn't change that. Race doesn't change that. Sexuality doesn't change that. Your postcode, your employment status, your education, your bank balance, your, your physical ability, your just nothing changes that. Nothing changes your significance to God. Because he's made you and he loves you. Nothing changes your significance to God. And, and isn't it true, again, just those are the things that we tend to compare ourselves with, aren't they? The bank balances or the postcodes or just abilities in general. We compare ourselves and each other and other people to themselves. And we look at others and we make a judgment call, don't we? And it's kind of instinctive. It's kind of a natural, immediate thing. Like, okay, I, I, I know what you're like because you look like this or I know what you're like because you live there or I know what you like because you... Just, we just do that all the time. All the time we do that. But Paul says, that's not how it goes. Paul says, that's not what it is. If you want to live out the gospel, if you want to be humble, Paul says, look, true humility means that you see other people as God sees them and everybody is important, significant, everybody is loved by God. And nothing changes that. So we don't want to compete. We, we, we don't want to be a church that competes with each other. We don't want to be a church that competes with other churches. We don't want to be individuals who compete with anybody, whether it's in the office or school or home or family or anywhere. We, we don't compete 
we, we, we raise people up because humility means you first. Humility means you first. And the third question, this is the one that I think really is the basis of this whole thing, this whole deal of being humble, this whole deal of living out the gospel. Where does humility come from? Well, humility comes from union with the Trinity. That's verses one and two. And this is the final answer. This is the foundation of everything. How, how can we be humble like Jesus? How, how can we live out you first? Where is this all going to come from? Let me read verses one and two of Philippians two. Again, Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's all the, all the one, all the same and all the one language. He's really talking about togetherness, like I said at the beginning. And how does togetherness work? It's by being humble. But where does that togetherness come from? Well, it comes from those really those kind of if statements that, that, that Paul makes. He says, look, does Jesus, does Jesus give you encouragement? Do you find comfort in being loved by God the Father, the God of the universe? Has the Spirit made you alive? Well, then you will find unity and harmony in humility. That's really Paul's point. Being with the Trinity, being with the Father, Son, and Spirit will result in you living you first, just like Jesus. And I think that feels a bit weird, just even talking about humility this much. I don't think I've ever used the word as much in such a short space of time. It just feels weird because most of the time we do humble things in a way that we hope people are going to notice. I think that's true. If we do a humble thing, we're going to do it in a way people notice. Um, does anyone else do this? Like, if I ever do like a humble thing, like I don't know, carry someone's bag or hold the door open. No, if, if you do, you know, some kind of humble thing. If I ever do this, uh, a humble thing, most of the time I'm thinking this is going to look awesome when they make a movie of my life. <laughs> do you do you not think that? No. Well, that's what I that, that's what I think. I think this is going to look awesome in the movie. So I don't know who's going to play me in the movie. Uh, keep your thoughts to yourself uh, for now. Um, okay, so if you don't think that, what about this? I bet you've all done this. What about the humble brag? Do you know what a humble brag is? Um, it's, it's, when you, it's, when you, it's when you try and get away with kind of bragging or showing off, but by hiding it in something kind of humble. Does that make sense? So a humble brag is when you try and show off or lead the conversation about something you want to talk about, but you kind of hide it in humility. Um, so there's a couple of tweets that, that I've... I think these are quite old, actually, but this just gives examples of a humble brag. So what do you make of this statement? I can't believe I sounded like such an idiot on TV last night. That's humble, isn't it? I sounded like an idiot. That's really humble. But what do they want you to talk about? Oh, you're on TV, we? Okay. What about this one? I am exhausted... From my two-week vacation to Hawaii, I need a vacation. That's humble, isn't it? Just the humility of being tired, the, the humility of, of, you know, of just kind of being so tired during the holiday, that's being humble, no? No, because what do they want you to ask about? 
or thinking about, wow, you went to Hawaii for a holiday for two weeks. Humble brag. We all do it. And in normal life, that is as close as we get to, to humility. It's just probably as close as I get anyway. But of course, actually, it's nothing to do with humility at all. It's the complete opposite of humility. Brag is in the title. That kind of gives us a clue as to what it is. And the problem is, the problem with humility is that you can't be humble when your priority is yourself. You, you can't be humble, truly humble, when the priority is yourself. And that is so true, it's annoying. So annoying, but it's true. That's why playing second violin is so hard. Because to truly be humble, you can't do it for reward or for praise. And even if maybe you think, yeah, I could play second violin, but are you thinking I'll play second well, so then they pick me to do first violin next time? You, just, you, you can't be humble when the priority is yourself. And it just feels impossible. It just feels impossible. If, if we kind of finished here at this point, and we just finished with a big, so go and be humble... You'd probably, well, you'd, you'd cry, you'd shout, you'd throw your chairs at me. You would, I think we'd just, we'd just implode in on ourselves because it's so impossible to be humble in this way that we've seen. And it is impossible. To be humble like we've seen, to be humble like we've described, it is impossible outside of God. It's impossible outside of God. Being humble looks like Jesus. And it means you go low. Being humble means you first. It means that we see people as God sees them. And being humble is only possible when you and your identity is safe in God himself. And this is the thing, it's not just like a how to be humble passage. Actually it gives us the whole the whole basis, the whole foundation of why we should be and how you get there. Because Jesus went low and died for you. Nothing is more certain. Nothing's more certain. God loves you. Nowhere is safer than that. The Spirit, if you're responding to Jesus like this, if you're a Christian, the Spirit is in you, pointing you to Jesus, reminding you, exciting you, kind of making your heart beat faster for Jesus because, because he went low and died for you. It's just going to keep coming back to those words at the end of, of, um, of, of the passage we've read today in Philippians 2 because Jesus did those things for you. He went low and he died for you. So to be humble. Maybe it's better to say because he went low and died for us, it means that we can be humble because we go with him. So how do we live this stuff out? This whole kind of Philippians stuff that we've seen over these last few weeks, how do we, how do, we do it? How, how, how do we live it out? This joy that doesn't disappear in circumstances, this joy that gives us a, a certainty of what we have in Jesus, this, this humility, this being humble, to, to bring unity and harmony. But how, how do you do it? How do you live this stuff out? How do we live out the gospel? Well, first we do it together. But we've got to be humble. 
But it's not just be humble. You be humble like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. Putting others first because you are loved by God.